Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Um, well, good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, my name is Matteo, if I haven't met you before. And, uh, you know, if you've been with us for the past few uh, weeks, we've been in a series on, uh, uh, called Grown-Up Prayers, uh, learning to pray with the Psalms, and uh, really looking at the Psalms as a guide for us to learn to pray. And, you know, uh, hopefully you've had a chance over the past few weeks to, you know, consider what your prayer Uh, your prayer journey has been like. And, you know, sometimes in order to grow in our prayers, it's helpful to think back on the different ideas that, you know, we've been taught about prayer. Do you remember the very first time you were taught to pray? What are some of your earliest memories around prayer? You know, I remember uh, as a kid being taught uh, how important it is to close your eyes when you pray, right? And, And that was really helpful advice. But I actually believed that God wanted me to close my eyes, and if I didn't, he would get mad, right? I, I, I remember realizing for the first time that I could pray with my eyes open, and it'll still work, right? So I think as a, as a, as a little practice this morning, we're going to pray with our eyes open, and we're going to look at each other, okay? It's going to be really awkward. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Some people are leaving already. Okay, it's okay. Don't worry. We got this. It's so easy to pick up certain beliefs around prayers, and we think, you know, prayers are only valid when, fill in the blank, prayers are valid when I have the right words, when I know the Bible better, right? When I, when I behave, when I'm a good person, when I go to church, when I have the right emotions. And we pick up these beliefs around prayer, and often we don't even realize that they're there. And, and what actually happens is they become a barrier to growing in our prayers, like training wheels on a bicycle. When you first learn to ride a bike, you need those training wheels to kind of help you get started, help you feel safe. But if you get to your 30s and you still have training wheels on your bicycle, something went wrong, right? They actually limit you from growing in your prayers. They, they limit you from learning how to really ride your bike. And there's a lot of beliefs and practices that we pick up when we learn to pray. And if we hold on to them, we never really grow. And one of two things tends to happen. On the one hand, we become so overwhelmed with doing it the right way, and we just stop praying, right? We just avoid, maybe that's for you, right? Like, you just feel like, I'm not there yet. I don't pray like that guy. Right? Or, or I just, I, I need to learn more. I need to uh, read another book on prayer. Or the other thing that happens is that whenever we pray, we turn into someone else. This is actually really, really common. 
right? When you pray, do you always feel that you need to be sad when you pray? Or maybe you need to be serious, right? Because God hates laughter, right? Or, or maybe you've been taught to always be happy and joyful when you pray. Or the other extreme, that you've been told that you need, we need to shut off all emotions when we pray. I mean, have you ever said a joke while, while praying? Is that allowed? And I think about this often as a parent of, of three small kids. You know, uh, you know, we have to teach our kids how to pray. My, uh, my oldest two are five and three. They're boys. And if you've ever been around small boys uh, during prayer time, you know anything could happen, right? Uh, and the longer the prayer is, the crazier it gets, right? One of them's doing some weird thing with his eyebrows. The other one's making animal noises. You know, one, one of them gets up to, to get water. You know, one of them's eating already. He finishes meal by the end of the prayer, you know. And, and it's tempting as a parent in those times to, you know, get frustrated and say, hey, we don't pray like that, right? Prayer is blank, serious. Prayer is, what is it? When we pray, we don't laugh. We don't smile. And, and it's easy to correct them in such a stern way. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're a parent with small kids, you have this task of, of teaching our kids the beauty and the sacredness and the seriousness of prayer, but to do so in a way that doesn't create obstacles for them, right? That doesn't cause them to just avoid prayer altogether or become a different person when they pray. So what do you believe about prayer? What obstacles prevent you from praying? Do you believe that you need to change something about yourself in order to talk to God? You know, when this happens, prayer becomes this thing that I do but it's not really connected to the rest of my life, right? It's not really connected to my work. It's not connected to my relationships. It's not connected to my emotions, my actual life. And yet, in the Psalms, we, we find something very different. We find uh, that prayers are deeply personal. They're rooted in everyday life. The person that, that's praying is not trying to hide anything, uh, is not trying to change anything about themselves, but they're bringing their whole human experience to God, whether it's sadness, whether it's joy, whether it's doubt, anger, embarrassment, even hatred. And this morning, we're going to look at a psalm, Psalm 139, and uh, the psalmist is going to pray through his hatred and his anger and his anxiety. But he's not there to just kind of vent his emotions, okay? He's going to pray in a very mature way. And so what I want to do this morning is rather than starting with the beginning of the psalm, we're actually going to start with the last section of the psalm uh, because that's going to give us a little bit of a picture of what the psalmist is going through, okay? And here is where he's going to pray through these negative emotions, okay? So it's going to start in verse 19. It says this, and Psalm 139, verse 19. It says, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. 
Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, I don't know about you, but I think the first part is perfect for road rage. Anybody? Just maybe the first, the first part. There's a lot of emotions going on here. Right? There's, the obvious one is hatred. He has a strong hatred and anger. And then he talks about this anxiety. He has anxious thoughts. Why would he be anxious? Well, he's talking about enemies who he calls bloodthirsty. Now, that's not like some ancient insult, right? He's not like, ooh, call them bloodthirsty. That's not what's happening. (laughs) He's actually saying that there are people who want to hurt him and maybe even kill him, right? In other words, his life is, is, is threatened. His life is at risk, right? He's not talking about people who, you know, cut him off the Walmart parking lot, but people who intentionally want to hurt him. And he's so angry. He's so angry that he even believes that his enemies are God's enemies. And he's praying through these negative emotions of hatred and anger. When, think about this for yourself. When was the last time you were anxious or angry because someone hurt you? Maybe not physically, but maybe someone did something that you felt hurt. You felt angry. What did you do? Did you pray that anger? Did you pray that anxiety? I'll tell you, for me, when I'm hurt from someone, by, by someone, my first instinct is not to pray that anger. I want to get them back, right? I want to tell people what they did to me. It doesn't feel good to be the victim sometimes. It feels good, right? But instead, the psalmist prays through these emotions. By the way, he doesn't wait for the anger to go away. He doesn't wait for the hatred to go away. That's a bad emotion. Can't pray that. He actually prays through this. Are we this honest with God? But it doesn't end there. As he prays these emotions, he does the thing that is the hardest thing for all of us to do when we are hurt and angry. What is it? He admits that maybe he is wrong. He invites God's correction while he's angry. If there's something wrong in my heart that needs correction, lead me. That's what he says. Maybe I'm at fault. Maybe I have some blind spots. Maybe there's something in me that needs to change. Maybe I need to learn something. So in simple terms, what he prays is is, is this. Here's how I feel, and maybe I'm wrong. Here's how I feel, and maybe I'm wrong. This is just a simple thing for you to remember you know, to pray this. Here's how I feel, and maybe I'm wrong. And it's very hard to pray this way. I mean, if, have you ever been at the same time angry or hurt and open to correction? Like if you've been married for more than five minutes, okay, you know that when your partner is angry, it's not the time for, you know, constructive criticism, right? And, and if she's pregnant, just be quiet forever. Just... And yet the psalmist gets to this this place in his prayer where he's both angry and anxious and yet still open to saying, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the thing that that I hate in my enemy is also in me and I don't see it. Can we pray this way? 
I mean, there's such a, a wisdom and a maturity in this kind of prayer, right? This wisdom of knowing that when we're angry, when we're hurt, we, we don't see clearly. We have blind spots, right? So how would your life change if you prayed this way every day for a month? I mean, even if you're not hurt, even if you're not angry, just to pray, God, are there areas in my life where I need to change, areas that I'm not even aware of? If we prayed like this, I I think one of the things that would happen is that we would stop living as though our perspective is the only perspective. The more we pray this way, the more we become open to the possibility that maybe I'm not always right. But it feels good to be right, doesn't it? You know, I've been trying this new thing with my kids where I lie to them. And because, uh, you know, they have all these questions, right? Like uh, the, the most random questions, like, how old is Iron Man's dad? And, and, you know, instead of saying, I don't know, I just make up an answer. And, and I, I'm just like, he's turning 125 in April. You know, super specific. He's like, wow, amazing. And you know what? It feels great. It feels good to know everything. It feels good to be a know-it-all, to be right. But the more we pray a prayer like this, we actually admit I'm not always right. That there are parts of me that I don't even see clearly in myself. And so the psalmist models something for us here. That when we're angry, when we're sad, when we're anxious, bitter, you name it. We don't need to pretend. We can learn to be honest with God. Now, not in a way that claims to be right, just venting our emotions, venting our feelings, but to be honest in a way where we can also say, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm the problem here. Here's how I feel, and maybe I'm wrong. So how does the psalmist get there? Like, how does he get to this place where he can pray this way? So now we're going to go back to the beginning of the psalm, and we're going to see some of the themes that, that pop up that really help him get to this place to be open and honest. Okay, so starting with verse 1, and it says this, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. He's a God who knows everything there is to know about physics, about science, about chemistry, about history, about everything. And yet the psalmist goes further and says, this God knows me. But he doesn't just know about me. He knows me better than I know myself. This is kind of a scary thing to admit. But, you know, we're all hardwired as humans to long to be known this way. We long for this in our relationships. Do you remember dating? Some of you are still maybe in that season of dating where you're looking for the one, right, who's just going to get you, who's going to finish your sentences, who's going to know what you're thinking, maybe not everything you're thinking. Wives or husbands in the room, I mean, how many of you are still waiting for the day for your partner to perceive your thoughts from afar? Anybody? Okay, so I'm not the only one? Okay, good. And my wife and I just talked about this a few weeks ago. 
she would like for me to know what she wants and what she's thinking before telling me what she wants and what she's thinking. Anybody else? Good. We're going to have a special prayer time later. <laughs> we long for this, right? We long for this. And as, as humans, we long to be known, and yet we resist being known. Right? Because in order to be known, we need to be vulnerable. And in order to be vulnerable, we need to risk being rejected. And as you, as you get older, you realize that it's easier to be rejected from people who don't know you. And it's much harder, it's much more painful to be rejected from people who do know you. That's why, that's why breakups could be so painful. And so we live in this tension of, of wanting these deep connections, wanting to be known and yet resisting them. And the psalmist says, he, God, searched me. He searched me. He's talking about this, this all-powerful God, all-knowing, and he searches me? Why does a God who knows everything and sees everything, why does he need to search me? Did he lose track of me? What happened? Because the psalmist is talking about a kind of knowledge that we resist. We all want it, but we resist it. You know, Jesus embodied this everywhere he went. He lived this out. He wanted to know, he knew everything there was to know about people, and yet he pursued a sort of relationship with them. He, he spoke to them. He connected with them. He was very intentional about that. He was very curious about people. Now, he also warned, Jesus warned, about how we can easily resist God's desire to know us. You know, one day, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples about a day in the future. And, uh, and he says this, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, he says, he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, didn't we do amazing things in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do amazing things for you? And he says, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. I was, I've always been confused about that. I never, you, do you mean you never knew me? No, he says, I never knew you. I thought Jesus knew everything about everyone. Well, he does, but there's a kind of knowledge that we resist. And who does he warn? Who does Jesus warn? He, he's not warning, you know, people of other religions. He's not warning the atheists. He's actually warning the people who are closest to him. Warning them that, you, you know, you could do amazing things for God and still resist God's desire to know you. You can go to church every Sunday. You can, get, you can get involved. You can know the Bible inside and out. You can even teach the Bible and still resist God's desire to know you. We do this in our prayers when we're not honest. I mean, think about it. If your prayers have the same emotion every time you pray, it might be a sign that you're resisting God's desire to know you. I mean, when was the last time you prayed with tears? When was the last time you prayed with anger, with hatred, anxiety, bitterness, embarrassment? Or maybe you've come to believe that God doesn't want to hear those prayers. You know, you could be raised in church all your life, and still when you pray, you become a different person. And your prayers get disconnected from your everyday life. But prayer is this gift that we're given to practice letting ourselves be known by God. And here the psalmist is saying, God, you know me better than I know myself. You know my thoughts before I think them. You know the words I say before I say them. You know where I go and what I do. You know every failure and every achievement. You know the deepest and darkest secrets. You know me better than I know myself. It's scary to admit this because we wonder, 
God knows everything about me. Will he stick around? Will he leave me? Will he reject me? The psalmist gives us an answer to that question. No. God will not leave me. This is the next section of the, of the psalm. In verse 7, it says this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If, my, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. See, he says, God knows the best and the worst about me, and yet there is nowhere I can go where God is not there with me. Where can I go, he says, where your spirit is not there? Where can I flee? Even if I wanted to run away from you, you would still be there. Not in this like passive way, like we believe, like, oh yeah, God is everywhere. No, no, no. In this active way, guiding, holding. I mean, think about this question for yourself. Where can you go where God is not there? What have you been taught about God's presence? What do you believe about God's presence? Do you believe that God is in some places and he's not in other places? Maybe he's with you sometimes, but not in other times. Where do you believe that God cannot go? Well, he's in church, but he's not in my work. He's with good people, but he's not with bad people, or those people, whoever those people are. What is it for you? God is only present with what? Holy people? Mature people? Spiritual people? Christians? Is he present with people who don't know him? It's an important question. And the psalmist says, even if he runs away, God is present and working in this mysterious way. You know, later on, he's going to talk about how God was with him, forming him, even before he was born. See, this is very important. There's nothing the psalmist did to make God present. There is nothing you can do to make God more or less present than he already is. Or do you believe that God is only present when you behave? Do you believe that he's only present when you're good and do good things? You know, I think about this often whenever I have to discipline my kids because, you know, my, my default is to remove them from my presence, right? Send them to the corner or to their room. The corner's better because there's no toys in the corner. But with God, even when I run from him, even when I resist him, he's still present, guiding. Now, it doesn't mean that there are no consequences. It just means that even in the consequences, God is present, guiding and holding. I I can't help but think of the, the story of the prodigal son. I mean, the story that Jesus loved to tell the son who ran away from his father and spends his money uh, uh, unwisely and he's left eating with the pigs. And even there, there's a sense that his father's mercy is guiding him back home. Maybe the father will hire me. He's wrong, but the father takes him in as a son, not as a servant. 
Even when things get dark and messy, God has a way of guiding us, calling us back. The psalm encourages us to pray and consider this in our own lives. When everything seems so dark, even there, you were holding me, you were there, you were present. Even there, when my marriage was hanging by a thread, even there, when I felt abandoned and alone, even there, when I was not sure if I still believed in you, even there, when everything around me was like a dark cloud, even there, where do you believe that God is not able to go? God knows me better than I know myself and still remains present. Even when we resist God, he searches for us. You know, Jesus embodied this wherever he went, helping people see that even when they were far away, he would search them out. He wanted to be near them. He wanted to know them. He wanted to be present with them. You know, I think of the story of the... uh, the um, woman at the well, right? This woman who's rejected and alone and, you know, she starts having this conversation with Jesus and Jesus reveals that he, he knows her and she starts to put her guard down and become vulnerable with him and her life is transformed. She's restored back to the community. But Jesus also pursued the people who did all the right things You know, Nathaniel was one of those people. As we close, the band's going to come up now, and I'm going to just share this story about Nathaniel. You know, Nathaniel was a disciple of Jesus. Now, we don't know that much about him, um, but we we do have this story of when he first meets Jesus, and it's a story how he experiences a God who knows him better than he knows himself, and his life is changed. It's transformed. This is what it says. John chapter 1. It says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there, Nathaniel asked? Right, Nazareth, somewhere God can't go. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. This is an honest person, Jesus says. And Nathaniel asked this question. How do you know me? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I mean, think about this. How many times have you been under a tree or near a tree? Probably not a fig tree, maybe an apple tree. I don't know, a maple tree. Maybe hundreds of times. How many times was Nathanael under a fig tree? There's a lot of fig trees in Israel produce shade, right? So probably hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times in his lifetime. But there was one time in Nathaniel's life where he was under a fig tree that he remembers like it was yesterday. 
Now, we don't know why, we don't know when he was under the fig tree, but it could have been 10 days ago, it could have been 10 years ago, but he remembers that moment. He knows exactly which moment Jesus is talking about. Maybe it was a time in his life where he felt unseen, alone. Maybe he was depressed, anxious. Maybe he was at the end of his rope. Maybe he was ashamed and felt rejected by God. Whatever it was, he remembers that day, and Jesus says, remember that day? I saw you. I saw you carrying the things that you were carrying, and I see you now. Hearing this, hearing these words from Jesus, it changed him forever. How would your life change if you heard Jesus say to you, I saw you, and I know you, with you to hear Jesus say to us I know you better than you know yourself even in your darkest moments I've been with you maybe our prayers would change maybe we'd start to pray a little more honestly maybe we'd learn to pray our anger and our hatred and our anxieties and our fears to pray with tears Not to vent our emotions to God, but to pray, God, this is how I feel, and maybe I'm wrong. What's stopping you from praying this way? Maybe you believe that God only wants to hear the good parts. Maybe it's fear that God will reject you. Or maybe you believe that God is only present with you when you're good. And what happens, our prayers get disconnected from our everyday life stand with me. The band's going to lead us in a song. And as they sing this, I, I just want to encourage you to consider and hear Jesus say to you, I know you and I'm with you.
about you, but that song really comes to life in a new way after hearing what Mateo shared with us and how he just so wonderfully unpacked that psalm. And just as I was talking to him, he wanted to share a part of the psalm that I think captures just how we just sang that song in worship together. It says this. It's Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14. It says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that well. So beautiful. Just as part of our response, why don't you just join me in prayer? Let's pray. God, how special it is not only to sing of your majesty and how wonderful you are and the things you're created in ways that we can't even really put into words as much as we try. But how just more incredible it is that you love each of us more than we even know ourselves. And that knowing that, you don't reject us, but you come close to us in such a real and present and active way in our lives. Oh God, help us to believe that and to trust in that. Because that's where the transformation comes. Not from anything we do, but just trusting that your presence and your knowledge of us makes all the difference. 
And so, God, we just want to be people, individuals, a church who learns to trust you in that in our prayers, as we learn to grow in our prayers, to see how you're present in areas and in times that we would least expect you to be present. Times where we just feel angry or fear or worry or even when we're just making a mistake, God, that you're there. And so help us to believe in that kind of presence and may it just shape how we live. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, just as we close, I want to share a couple of things, but can we just thank Mateo for sharing that with us? What a special message. What a gift to us. If you're here, we know it's middle of summer, you might have different things happening, but we just really encourage you, don't rush off. We have a prayer space. Our team would love to just take some time to pray with you, to respond maybe to ways God's speaking. And just looking ahead to next week, just a special note, we'll continue in our series, but we'll also be taking communion together. And so almost as a halfway mark of our summer, we really, really just encourage you to prioritize being with us as we celebrate communion together. Uh, So that's it. Bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.